I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And not just the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotel's family of 22 brands is over 7,400 locations and the perfect hotel for any traveler you want to be. Like a Cambria Hotel, serving up locally inspired craft cocktails for all my folks who maybe want to meet up and talk about Mad Royals. Check into a Radisson Hotel with flexible workspaces for you strivers who listen during business travel. Or a Comfort Hotel with free hot breakfast, family-friendly pools, and big spacious rooms for the parents who listen with their kids and need a little retreat. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any of you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Sarah Dowdy. And I'm Dublina Chakraborty. And the central figure of today's episode is one that's been requested quite frequently. It's Tycho Brahe, a famous Danish astronomer of the 16th century, who is remarkable because he made a lot of his observations with the naked eye, essentially. This was pre the invention of the telescope. Yeah, impressive stuff. And I think people keep on requesting him because he's been in the news a lot recently because of a certain dig that's going on. An exhumation, An exhumation, which most of you know, that's like the theme of the podcast. So I was really pleased when you picked this one, Dublin. I was like, you're, you're learning fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I want to, I want to blend. So this is my chance. But the news that Sarah's referred to is Tico Brahe's remains were brought up for the second time. He was exhumed in November for about a week. Um, his remains were taken from the tomb that they rest in in Prague. And scientists, they did this because they want to get a better idea, some more insight into the unusual circumstances that surrounded his death. Yeah, because, I mean, for a long time, people have thought that he died of a bladder infection. I know, it's kind of unfortunate. It's an unfortunate reputation to have, but people thought that he died... Because while he was at a banquet at the emperor's court in Prague, he refused to excuse himself to go to the bathroom. So he's like a good example for teaching your kids 
don't hold it too long. Don't go hold ahead it. and say I, you need to go. <laughs> he claimed he had a good excuse. He thought it would be rude, um, basically a breach of court etiquette to do that in the middle of this dinner. But suffice to say, what happened is he returned home and he was unable to urinate after that experience. That was the case for actually 11 days. Can you imagine? Sounds agonizing. Until he finally died on October 24th, 1601. So this is kind of the backstory to it. Um, there have been varying reports. People said that his bladder burst. It had become twisted, somehow torn. It was kind of unclear. Kidney disease was also proposed as a possible suspect in the situation. Even at that time, though, there were some rumors going around, some some murmurings that maybe murder had been involved because Tico was basically a healthy guy. He was about 54, 55 years old, um, didn't have any illness. So it was a little suspect. And he had enemies. And he had enemies, As definitely. We'll find out later. Sure. So fast forward to the 1990s. The Prague National Museum happens to be in possession of Tico's mustache. I also thought this was really like timely news because it's Movember, you know, the whole mustache month. I did thing. not know this. <laughs> You're supposed to grow a mustache if you are so able to do so in November to celebrate mustaches. So, I mean, I feel like maybe they dug him up to coincide with this. Probably not, but... (laughs) Cheers. Oh, well, they actually, that was his first exhumation in 1901 where they got the mustache. So maybe they celebrated November at that time as well. Maybe. Basically, they got the mustache and then in 1991... They brought it back out, the Prague Museum. They sent a few hairs over to some researchers in Denmark, and they discovered something at that time. They discovered some really high mercury levels in Tico's system. It was about 100 times above normal. Yeah, and so in 1996, Danish and... Swedish scientists decided to do a few more tests on those hairs, and this time they used a proton microbe, which was more sophisticated technology. And they found out that all that mercury hadn't accumulated over years and years. It had all come in one single dose, which was only about 13 hours before he died. So suddenly this seemed very suspicious, very likely the cause of death, not this burst bladder or kidney disease or something. Right. So that's basically what they're trying to get more information on with this current exhumation. But the question still lingers, even if they find out if it's murder, who would want to murder Tico and why? Yeah. What did he do? That's so wrong. So that's a little bit of what we're going to look into in this episode. And but first, we're going to take you back to the beginning. As we always do. As we do. He was born Tiga Brahe, actually, he, with a different, slightly different first name, on December 14th, 1546, in an area that would now be considered South Sweden, but it was then part of Denmark. Yeah, and his parents were nobles, but they didn't have that big of an influence on his life because of something that happens at age two. Yes, he was kidnapped. And he's kidnapped by his uncle, Jorgen Brahe. Yeah, that's kind of the strange part. His dad apparently... Uh, made a deal with Jorgen before Tico was even born. And the deal was that if the child was a boy, Jorgen could adopt him. Uh, you see, Jorgen, he didn't have a son, so therefore he didn't have an heir. 
So he really wanted this to occur. But after Tico actually showed up, Otto kind of changed his mind. He yes. changed the deal. <laughs> or maybe his wife mentioned something like, <laughs> no, I'd really rather not give away my firstborn. Um, that could also be an aspect of it. But fortunately, Otto and his wife have a second son named Steen. And at this point, Jorgen is like, well, Tico is mine. I mean, if you have two sons, I'm at least taking one of them. And Otto, uh, Tico's father, was pretty upset about this at first, that his son got swiped by his brother. Yeah, he was, uh, he threatened to murder his brother Jorgen at first, but then he eventually relaxed about it a little bit and he, he saw the benefits that this situation could potentially present. He saw that Okay, my brother Jorgen, he is Lord of Tranaker Castle. He's very wealthy. He's very well educated. So he saw after a while that Tico could be on the track to a pretty sweet inheritance if he stayed with his uncle. Yeah, that both of his sons might end up with a better future. Right. And so Jorgen, being well educated, and his wife Inga, they sent Tico on the track to getting a good education, too. By all accounts, they were very loving parents, and he had like a really good childhood. So in about 1559, when he was about 12 or 13 years old, Tico went to the University of Copenhagen and was there until about 1562. His main area of study there was law, which is what his uncle wanted him to do. But It was um, kind of the expected job for a man of his class. Exactly. But it didn't take a little... Uh, it didn't take very long for a couple things to happen while he was there. First off, he started writing his name as Tico instead of Tika, which was the more modern style. And then, most significantly, he witnessed a total eclipse of the sun on August 21st, 1560. And this was just an amazing phenomenon to him because it was something that had been predicted and that it actually came to be. And he was just sort of fascinated by the fact that this was possible. Yeah, he knew there must be something behind astronomy. And so he started to study it more. He started to go out and study the stars at night, even though his family was trying to get him to focus on law and not be out stargazing. But after leaving school, he toured Europe and went all over um, Wittenberg, Rostock, Basel, Augsburg. But instead of visiting all the courts and doing the things he should have done as this young nobleman, he spent time studying at a few universities. Exactly. He was at the University of Leipzig from about 1562 to 1565. His uncle actually sent him there again to study law. But of course, he kept gazing at the stars. In 1563, he had what was his second significant astronomical experience, so to speak, which was the first recorded observation of the overlapping of Jupiter and Saturn. And this was significant because it was something that was sort of off from what other scientists had predicted. So he had studied the works of Ptolemy and Copernicus, but what this showed him was that a lot of what was known at the time about the positions of the planets and the stars wasn't exactly accurate. Yeah, so he knew there was room for him and room to improve on what was already known. Yeah, so he dedicated his life at this point to studying astronomy and the stars. Yeah, and he kept on traveling, kept on studying astronomy. And at Rostock, he actually got into an argument with another student over a mathematical point, which seems like 
as good a thing as any to get into Why not? an argument over. Um, they take it pretty far. They fight a duel, and some people say it was a drunken duel. That doesn't sound too surprising. But it ends with the other student slicing off part of Tika's nose. and A big part. A big part of it. And to deal with that, he had an artificial nose created, which was supposedly made of either silver or gold. And... That was, uh, I mean, that's probably what he's best known for at this yep, point. the fake nose. <laughs> the fake nose. Yeah, and we'll talk a little more about that later. But during this period, he did something else that was a little scandalous. He'd already angered his family by studying astronomy, which wasn't as respected as the law. And then he went off and married a woman who was basically considered a peasant. Uh, her name was Kirsten Jorgen's daughter. She was the daughter of a parson. And family and friends never really accepted her. I mean, for a long time, his they had eight kids, I think, and they were considered illegitimate because... They, the marriage no, was so beneath him. Right. People never really recognized it. But, I mean, he's doing all right financially, at least. Even if they're not recognizing his family, he's still this wealthy nobleman. And when his father and uncle both die in 1571, he inherits his uncle's estate and at least part of his father's estate. So he's... He's got all the resources he needs to continue his studies and really launch himself fully into astronomy. Yes, so then he sets up his own sort of small observatory and lab on another relative's property just to totally devote himself. himself. Right, and there on November 11th, 1572, he made what is perhaps considered his most significant discovery. He noticed what he called a new star, and it was brighter than Venus and located where no star was supposed to be in the Cassiopeia constellation. And he published a work about it called De Nova Stella, which is the new star and translated. This was really big news for the intellectual community at the time. Yeah, it shook them up. Yeah, because they figured that we know everything we could ever know about where the stars are. The stars do not move. Mm-hmm. You don't get a new one. And so this was major news for them. Yeah, it almost was controversial. It rubbed some people the wrong way. They didn't want to believe it. But he uh, now we know what he observed was a supernova or the explosion of a dying star. But, uh, you know, at the time, just the fact that he'd seen something there that was different was a big deal. So after this, Tycho becomes pretty famous throughout Europe. He's a well-known and well-respected astronomer. And he has a dream of establishing an even larger, a very large observatory. And he plans to do so in Germany until King Frederick II of Denmark convinces him to stay. Um, basically. Makes him an offer he can't refuse. Makes him a pretty sweet offer. King Frederick is ba- basically, Frederick II becomes a patron of sorts for Tycho, possibly because his life had been saved by Tycho's uncle. So a good reason. that could factor into it. But I think part of it was also that here's this fabulous, famous astronomer and I don't want to lose him. I want him to stay in my country. So all these things combined maybe convince him to offer Tycho the entire island of Venn and foot the bill for the construction of a large observatory and house and essentially makes the villagers Tycho's tenants. Uh, so basically he can get rent from them. He can get and- rent from them, duties. Uh, it's an awesome deal from Tico's point of view. Yeah. 
So he gets to build his observatory, picks his own architect, and he calls it Uraniborg, which translates to Castle of the Heavens. And it's complete with, it's a pretty swanky place, even complete with indoor plumbing, which, which is, is ironic, <laughs> too, I think, <laughs> considering his unusual <laughs> death. Uh, yeah, it is a little ironic. But uh, he designs this plumbing himself, and it was very uncommon at the time. So it's always something that you'll see mentioned about Uraniborg, um, even though it's kind of a funny thing to mention, I guess. And this was considered the world's first large research institute. So he has all these assistants that help him, and he is just observing away. And they do a lot of work there. All of Tico and all of his assistants catalog the positions of at least 777 stars. Some people say it's more like a thousand stars. And the work replaces Ptolemy's. It becomes the standard astronomical text, I guess, or, or data set. Yeah, it was a pretty big deal. And then in the 1580s, he came up with what he thought to be his biggest achievement ever. And that was a theory about the solar system that contradicted Copernicus. Basically, he hoped with this, he hoped to eventually confirm this with his data. Yeah, and just to give you a rundown of how these theories differed, Copernicus thought that the sun was the center of the universe and all the planets revolved around the sun. But Tycho thought that the Earth stayed put, it remained in this stationary position, and the sun and the moon revolved around the Earth, orbiting the Earth. And the other planets orbited the sun. So it was kind of a, a mishmash, I guess. Yeah, it was a little topsy-turvy compared to Copernicus's theory. And of course, now we know that Copernicus was actually correct, but that came later on. So all of his data collecting, all of his observations later in life were to help confirm this theory. Up until this point, he appears to have led a charmed life, Sounds as we say. Sounds pretty good so yeah, far. He has his, got his own island. island. <laughs> he has his observatory. Two, two estates from his family. I mean, he's well-known. He's well-respected. But then in 1596, things start to go south a little bit. Frederick II has died, and his son, Frederick's son, that is, Christian IV, assumed the throne of Denmark and Norway. And he's not as fond of Tycho. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier that you saw different accounts of that. Maybe Christian just doesn't like Tycho and wants to completely shut down his operation. Maybe it was more of a budgetary issue. You know, he just didn't have room to fund this astronomer as much as his father had. Yeah, and I mean, Tycho was not cheap. He was living large out on the island of Venn, throwing parties, drinking, eating lots, and really not treating his tenants very well at all. So because of this clash with Christian IV, he ends up moving to Prague with his wife, where Emperor Rudolf II gave him refuge. And he continues his work there. But really, at that point, he had collected the majority of the data that he was going to collect over the course of his lifetime. So yeah. he has all of that. He's still working with it. He's still observing things. Um, but he, at this point, he most of his life's work is complete. It's time to, to analyze everything he's gotten. <laughs> and... What happened to the island and his large observatory? Well, Christian the Fourth reportedly had it torn down. So unfortunately, it doesn't exist today. We can't even visit this place, Uraniborg. Indoor plumbing and everything. I know. So while he's in Prague, another significant thing happens. Tycho takes on an assistant named Johannes Kepler in 1600. 
Yeah, and Kepler is a very different guy in a way from Tycho. He comes from a different background. He's not a nobleman. Uh, but by the time they meet, he's got a good reputation. He's a respected scientist. And he's also a Copernican. So opposite, opposite theories. They don't believe the universe works the same way. So he thinks that the planets orbit the sun. It seems like it would be really hard to have a productive partnership with another astronomer if you had such a fundamental difference. But it seems like they could have worked well together. They could have worked well together. Kepler was a theory guy and Tycho was the data guy. So if they'd put their heads together, who knows what could have happened. But it turns out that they had kind of a tough working relationship. But Kepler really wanted to work with Tycho because he had come up with sort of his own theory about um, the orbits of the planets. He thought that they were spheres, one inside of the other. And so he really wanted to work with Tycho so that he could use his data. But then, of course, he comes to Tycho, and Tycho's totally stingy with all his observations and his data. And completely at odds with his own beliefs. You don't want your data to prove something that disproves what you've been working on. Sure. So... As we mentioned, the two butted heads, they argued. Kepler even walked out and left at one point, and then Tycho kind of came back and relented, and they they came back together. But then, of course, Tycho dies suddenly in 1601, and Kepler, after that point, becomes the imperial mathematician in Prague, which gives him access to all of Tycho's data, so what he wants, finally got it. He's finally got what he needs. Unfortunately, though, once he has all this data he's been waiting for for so long, it doesn't confirm his theory about the spherical orbit. That's true. At least he knows this, and he did confirm Copernicus's view of the solar system and come up with the important laws of planetary motion that he's still known for today. Yeah, so Kepler's work definitely benefits from having this data, which, of course, comes from Tycho's death. So Suspicious. Yeah, when the findings (laughs) about the mercury poisoning came out, a lot of people started thinking, well, what did this guy have to gain from it? And it makes him a pretty likely suspect. But there's no proof. There's no proof. A lot of people suggest that he might be a suspect, but there's no real hard proof, I don't think, to support that. Fortunately, we have we have some other suspects. There are some other suspects lined up here. One suspect is the Jesuit order. They could have been to blame because they didn't really like the influence that Tycho had as a Protestant over Prague's emperor, Rudolf II. So that was what would have made them a suspect, their motive in it, I guess. And there are others that think that Christian IV may have had something to do with it. Since He's as, not a fan. No, not a big fan of Tycho at all. So he might have had a score to settle there. And there's been some sort of recent theorizing about that front, at least, hasn't there? Yes, there has. Um, a guy named Peter Anderson, who is a Strasbourg German studies expert, he a couple years ago came up with a scenario that has Christian IV as a mastermind in a plot that also involves Tycho's distant cousin, Eric Brahe. And it's assumed in this scenario that Eric Brahe is the killer. And the reason Anderson came up with this theory is that he found, he discovered Eric Brahe's 600-page diary in the Royal Library of Stockholm. And he says it contains some pretty definitive evidence. It shows, it shows Eric Brahe going away on this huge mission around this time. He's wrangling an invitation to the banquet that Tico attended, the one where he didn't use the bathroom <laughs> the entire time. 
And it also shows that Eric visited Tico at his home after the banquet in the days after following. He got sick. Yep. And he also expresses some remorse in his diary and his writings. So. so there's one theory for you. Um, but other people think, and this is not, maybe not quite as exciting and scandalous, but some people think that Tico's death was accidental mercury poisoning, that because he was also a bit of an alchemist, he might have tried to cure himself by dosing himself with too much mercury and accidentally dying from it. Yep, that's another possibility. And unfortunately, scientists say that we'll never know the truth because even though they can find out, they might find out if it's murder or if it was accidental poisoning. But after 400 plus years, it's unlikely that they'd be able to identify a specific killer. So we this may have to remain a mystery. We do have one thing we can look forward to, though. Yes, they may solve the mystery of the fake nose. And that came about the first time they exhumed Tico Brahe in 1901, they discovered that the the metal plate that was his nose prosthesis, yes, it was missing. It was not in his tomb. And when they sort of tested the area, they found copper there rather than silver and gold, which everyone thought it was. So they're hoping to test now and see if they can figure out what the nose was actually made of. Was it silver and gold? Was it a silver and copper alloy? Maybe he had multiple noses. Maybe he had multiple ones. That's also a theory. Maybe he had one for special occasions and one for just everyday use. Yeah, you, you need a few noses. You, you know, need a coordinate few different looks. So um, that's one thing that we can look forward to, hopefully. Yes, I would like to learn about the nose, if not the murder. Something. Um, but I guess that about wraps it up with Tico. If you have any more fun stories, you should email us. We we talked about, Katie and I talked about his moose or elk earlier on the Animals podcast. So poor elk. Pretty interesting guy. Yep. There's uh, so much more we could say about Tico if we had all the time in the world. So if you have any other specific questions or you want to add something, definitely write us. Yeah, you can email us at historypodcast at howstuffworks.com. We're also on Twitter at Mr in history and we have a facebook fan page so we have a lot of ways to share your tico stories with us and if you want to learn a little more about supernovas and other stellar events you can check out our article how stars work on our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. This is Malcolm Gladwell. From Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Looking to part ways with complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping? 
Then give your business the edge it needs with USPS Ground Advantage shipping from the United States Postal Service. Keep everything simple with clear upfront pricing and no unexpected surcharges. Keep things affordable with some of the lowest prices out there. And keep it all reliable with on-time ground shipments. It's time to turn shipping to your advantage. Learn how at usps.com advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple, affordable, reliable. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.